Well, today is the day. Christmas is here. Even Scrooge was happy on Christmas Day. And last week we looked at God's past work leading up to Jesus being the rightful Messiah King. And we've been talking about uh, a, a Christmas carol, not by Charles Dickens, but by Matthew, looking last week at the genealogies from verses 1 down through verse 17, the past work of God leading up to the birth of Christ. This week, we will be looking uh, for a few moments uh, at the present work of God. And so what we're going to have to do once again is travel back to that time that we think about as the first Christmas and the events surrounding uh, the first Christmas and thinking about God's work in that present moment. The present work of God brings salvation through a divine king. A lot of our focus last week was on Jesus being the rightful Messiah through the line of man, that he was in fact 100% human. Here, as, what, as Matthew records for us, what we see is that not only was Jesus 100% human, but he was 100% God. He was divine, the God-man. And really, verse 18 sets the scene for our story. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. And so this morning, let's together, in these verses, consider how God is at work in this story, how he was at work there in that present moment as Mary and Joseph wrestled with all of these things for the first time. These are things that we rehearse at, at least once a year going through the Christmas story. Uh, so we're very familiar with some of these details, but for Mary and Joseph, they, had, they didn't have any precedent for this. They were going through this for the very first time in the account that we're reading. So in verse 18, looking at the birth of Jesus, it says, When Mary, his mother, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So Mary and Joseph are betrothed. Many of us have heard that word. It's, it's like engagement, but it's legally binding. So today, if you get engaged to someone or someone gets engaged, and then before any time before the I do part in the wedding, they could say, you know what, I'm going to break this all off and we're, we're not going to go through with this. And, you know, maybe a bunch of heartache, but you part your ways and that's it. But in those days, being betrothed, uh, similar to an engagement, though, but there was a legal binding to the betrothal. And so for all purposes, Mary and Joseph were, were married, although they had not consummated the marriage. And so in order to, uh, that's where that phrase there, it says, before they came together, the marriage had not been physically consummated and finalized. Uh, but Mary and Joseph would, would have to actually file for a divorce, Joseph would, in order for that, for that to um, be annulled. And we'll get into that uh, in just a little bit. So here they are waiting. They have not yet consummated the marriage, but Mary is pregnant. Now you can hide a pregnancy for, for a little while, but it starts to get obvious when someone is pregnant. Now what I would not suggest is asking someone if they're pregnant if you're suspicious, okay? <laughs> but after a while you start to notice, but notice what verse 18 says at the very end. Who is at work in this pregnancy? Well, it is in fact God. This is a pregnancy from the Holy Spirit. God is at work in Mary in a very supernatural way. 
Now, many women before this were pregnant, but never before has it been said that this was the result of the Holy Spirit. This is something altogether unique. There have been people, and you could probably think of some people in the Bible. Mary probably thought of some of those supernatural births uh, of, of Sarah when she was 90, having a baby. That's unheard of. But there was still a husband involved in that situation, but not here for Mary. God has worked through the course of humanity that we saw in verses 1 through 17, but but he cannot work in, that, in the normal way of reproduction to bring about the Messiah. In other words, it wasn't going to work for Mary and Joseph to have this baby together, for Joseph to be, to be the actual father of this child for what the Messiah was going to be. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 12, sin passes through the man down generation to generation. By one man, sin has come into the world and death by sin. And so it's through the seed of Adam that we are all sinners. We all have biological fathers and mothers. But it's through the seed of the man, it's through the father that that sin is passed down. And so here, if Jesus is going to come and be the God-man, only God could have begotten God. It's why in the religion of Islam, I think I may have mentioned this before, one of their tenets, Allah was never begotten nor has begot because at least they get one thing, for God to beget or have a son would mean that that son was equally God. And so now you come to verse 19. And we've heard, again, this part of the story many times before. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So think about Joseph in this moment. Joseph has never heard the end of verse 18 before. And Mary, he starts to, you can kind of picture the conversation between them. Mary, are, are, you, are, you, I don't, are you putting on a little bit of weight? <laughs> Something doesn't seem right. But you can kind of hear not only those words from Joseph, but you can maybe feel the heartbreak in his voice when he's starting to put the pieces together. Yeah, I don't, I don't think she's... She's just eating too much. Something else is going on here. And you can hear the nervous reply from Mary. Well, an, an angel came and, and told me, and maybe Joseph interrupts, Mary, I, I don't even want to hear it. I love you, but I, I, can't go through, I can't go through with this. Now, what's interesting is verse 19, the way Matthew describes Joseph, that he is a just or a righteous man. He cared about living in obedience to the law. And after seeing evidence of Mary's unfaithfulness, he just decides, this can't go on. We cannot go through with this marriage. He wasn't going to publicly shame her as maybe many other men would have done. Man, I can't believe she did this to me. I'm 
I'm going to make it as hard on her as possible. But it does say that he resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, under the law, a couple could divorce with as little as two witnesses. That would be a quiet divorce. But you, ha- you had to have two witnesses. But notice what verse number 20 says now. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So, so while he's considering these things, I picture Joseph kind of being torn. I think he really had a love for Mary. But, but I, I, can't, I can't go through with this. Have you ever had a decision that was so pressing that it just kept you, kept you up at night thinking about it over and over? What should I do? I'm not really sure. Kids, maybe you felt like this when someone asked you, what do you want for Christmas? And you started thinking, oh man, there's a lot of things I want for Christmas. But I know I can only pick one of them. What, what do I pick? It's in this moment of struggle that Joseph is facing that we see God graciously at work again. And God, through the angel of the Lord, appears to Joseph. And when the angel appears to Joseph, maybe Joseph starts thinking, maybe Mary wasn't making up that whole angel story that she was telling me about. The angel calls Joseph by name, tells him, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Now, Joseph, as I mentioned, is a committed follower of the law. He's a righteous and just man. In Luke chapter 2, just after the the shepherds leave in that account, uh, we, we read that Mary and Joseph, what do they do with Jesus? They bring him to the temple on the eighth day for what? To be circumcised according to the law. So you know Joseph was a a follower and this was important to him to to keep himself according to the law. So by marrying Mary, Joseph was risking his name and his reputation, his standing within the law. I mean, he's not a priest or anything, but he's, he's risked viewing himself as being unclean, someone who tolerates wickedness. And for us today, maybe you think, yeah, who cares what anybody else thinks? But, but that would mean everything for Joseph. Just think of how the religious leaders treated Jesus for simply eating with sinners. And now Joseph was going to marry one? For all, for all intents and purposes, he would be pushed out to the margins in the religious society And then the angel reiterates that this is a divine work of the Lord. The end of verse 20, that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, this is just a a quick, brief side note, but you'll notice the language here. Uh, This is one biblical reference that we can point to that life begins at conception. Sometimes we wonder why, why do we as Christians make a big deal about when life begins? It's verses like this, because at conception life begins. And so we can point to God's word that even speaks into that issue of, of pro-life and, and pro-choice. 
Jesus' life began, his human life began at conception, and what was conceived was from the Holy Spirit. Now notice verse number 20. Here's the angels continuing to, to speak to Joseph in this dream. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So the good news is that this is going to be a healthy pregnancy. Mary will give birth, and it will be a son. And the angel even tells Joseph what he will need to be named. He will be need, need to be named Jesus. So kids, can you help me out this morning? You can call it out if you know the answer. Why was this to be the baby's name? It tells us right in verse 21. Parents, you can even help, help them out. Anybody want to call it out? I hear a lot of whispering. Who's going to be brave enough to say it? He will save his people from their sins. Do we really need to talk about sin on Christmas? I mean, can't we just focus on joy and happiness? Let's, let's talk about sin some other time. But here we are in the story of the first Christmas, and the angel brings up sin. You know, Jesus' name, the same name, Hebrew, Hebrew name as Joshua means, the Lord saves. That's what the name means. And here we are told that Jesus is to be named, this baby is to be named Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Listen, this morning our need is clear. We need to be saved and not from something that's outside of us. It's not save me from my circumstances, save me from my situation, save me from my job, save me from my, my health issue. Although all those things, may be, we may be struggling with some of those things right now, but here it's, it's save me from my sin. Sin is rebellion against God. It's not a slip-up. It's not a mistake. It's rejecting God's rule in our lives. So kids, I want to talk to you for just a second. The Bible says, God says, honor your father and your mother. Maybe you've heard that before. So when your parent tells you something to do, submission to God looks like doing what you're told without stomping your feet on the way to do it, without mumbling under your breath, without rolling your eyes. You honor your parents and you submit to God's kingship in your life as, as you realize that God has placed your parents in your life for good and you are going to honor them and obey them as they have told you. Parents, God tells you, and all of us, be angry and do not sin. So when your child doesn't obey, submission to God looks like bringing loving discipline into their life without flying off the handle, without yelling at them so that they know who's boss, without abusing your authority and lording it over them. You see, in either situation, whether you're the parent or the child, we can follow through with the right actions. We can do what we were told. Fine, I'll 
do this. Or, oh, I'll bring discipline on them. We can do the right thing and yet simultaneously, at the same time, reject God's rule in our life. I'm going to do it my way. Or I'm going to do this, but on the inside, I'm not happy about it. And it's this rebellious sin that Jesus came to save us from. And we can, it's very easy to do. I, I do it. We can point the finger at other people and say, well, if they would have, or if they wouldn't have, but at the end of the day, you and I are responsible. We're responsible for our own choices. Our own sinful choices. But praise be to God for his work of sending Jesus to bring salvation. There is only one who can save. And it is Jesus himself. We can't save ourselves. We can't clean ourselves up. Even when we realize our sin and we apologize, it doesn't remove our sin. One hymn we could have sang this morning. Maybe it would be appropriate. Maybe you know this. What can wash away my sin? Can you repeat? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You see, the birth of Jesus was only the beginning. But the angel let Joseph know that God was at work in Mary to bring about the very thing that he needed. Salvation from his sin. Jump down here to verse 24 and 25, and, and we'll, we'll jump back up to verses 22 and 23. But I just want to finish out this story without, this, without the, the little prophetic in, interjection in here. Verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. I, I like to think after, as Joseph's waking up from this dream, and sometimes we can have nightmare dreams and we wake up and we're all like, whew, our heart's beating fast. I like to think that Joseph woke up from this dream with just a, a rush of peace over him. All this turmoil that he's struggling with. And maybe, maybe he thought, you know what, whatever I must face in this situation is nothing compared to, to what God is going to do through this son. But I am going to submit in obedience. And really, as I thought about that, what Joseph did, even at the very end, he called his name Jesus. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him to do. Anyone who hears the call of the gospel, must respond in obedience. We must give up everything and die to self and follow Christ. Joseph doesn't just pay lip service and say, well, well God, I believe you, and then he keeps going all, along with the divorce. No, his faith was followed by Obedience. True faith will always result in obedience. First John actually tells us that there is no obedience, or sorry, where there is no obedience, there is no faith. I believe in Jesus, but I just, it doesn't always look like that in my life because I'm not really desiring to obey him and submit to him. Well, there's a disconnect there. 
Faith should always be followed by obedience. And that's one way we can examine ourselves, our, our own faith. Is, if, is what I'm saying really the reality of my heart? Joseph obeys, he takes Mary as his wife, but notice what it says, he knew her not, which is saying that they had no intimate relationships with, he had, they had no intimate relationships together until, what does it say, until she had given birth to a son. Okay? So Mary's first son was divinely conceived by the Holy Spirit, but any children that Mary would have after this, and she did have children after this, were of the normal human means, and they were themselves sinful in need of a Savior. Well, who are some of those? Well, James and Jude, two authors of Scripture, were half-brothers of Jesus. Mary and Joseph, though, they show a lot of humility in this situation. They, they give up their rights, their right to divorce. Joseph, Joseph under the law, had that right, the right to name their child, that was a big deal. Still is a big deal. I mean, who wants somebody else naming your child? But in that culture, even more so. The right to live honorably in the Jewish law without prying eyes. Well, she's, she's, she's definitely pregnant before they got married. Let's keep an eye on this couple. But they understood that God was at work in them doing something that they, they probably couldn't even fully comprehend at this point. Joseph, or God was at work to bring salvation through a divine king. And this was no accident. God's fingerprints are all over this story. And jump back now to verses 22 and 23. Notice what it says. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So all of this, everything we just talked about, Mary and Joseph living at this very moment in history, being uh, I'm, I'm what I would guess is an arranged marriage together between the two of them. Joseph's fear of this situation and the angel coming to, to bring comfort in a dream. All of this was the work of God to bring to pass what he had promised through the prophet Isaiah so long ago. You'll notice that, that the words the angel spoke to Joseph in the dream are very similar to what Isaiah had written hundreds of years before. A virgin, that is someone who has never known a man, will conceive and bear a son. This is what Isaiah says. And the one difference was the name he would be called. Instead of Jesus, Isaiah says, his name will be, will be called Emmanuel. Help me out. Kids, you can help me out with this one. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. Good, I heard lots of voices coming. So kids, church teachers, be encouraged. Or Awana teachers, because they're picking things up. Parents. Jesus goes by many names. There, there's no contradiction here. Well, it's supposed to be Jesus or God. No, his names are descriptive of who he is. Jesus, the Lord saves. The Alpha and Omega. King of kings. The Lamb of God. The Redeemer. The Good Shepherd. I mean, we could go on and on the names 
that, that God goes by and even God in the person of Jesus Christ goes by. Now we spent some time talking about Jesus. Just real briefly, let's think about Emmanuel. God has come to us. This baby is God in flesh. One of my favorite lines in any Christmas songs, and we sang it earlier, I think it's one of the greatest doctrines taught in a Christmas carol. And hark the herald angels sing, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. In, 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 you see the Godhead. You see who God is in the person of Jesus Christ as he is veiled in flesh. The flesh is like a veil covering his glory. And so to see and know God, we need to look no further than Jesus Christ. God's present work in this moment is a work of becoming like us so that he could dwell with us. And of course, we could flip that around and say that we can dwell with him. It's both. God wants to dwell with us. And there is no Jesus the Lord saves unless there is an Emmanuel, God with us. And if there's an Emmanuel, if there is a God with us, then there, is, there will be a Jesus. There will be a salvation. Do you understand what I'm saying? There is no salvation unless it is from God, as he is the only one who can save. And if there is a God who has come to us, then salvation is provided. Jesus and Emmanuel complement one another in who this Messiah would be. And so today, we will head out with family and friends to various places. We're going to go on our way. But may we remember God's work in Mary and Joseph to bring about a divine king who would save us from our sin. And God's work, his, his present work is continuing to till today. He is saving people today through Jesus. Our sin, even the sin we've committed this morning. And we have is no match for the work of Jesus. We go to him for the salvation that we need, the salvation from our sin. And there is no greater Christmas joy than to know that our sin has been dealt with at the cross. Thank you.